This is the Smitty and Mitty Show. What are you doing? I'm, I'm practicing my announcer voice. No, we have a guy for that. We got a voice guy? Yeah, totally. Watch this. Hey, hey voice guy, can you intro me? Yeah, I can do that, Mitty. Mitty, the greatest show host who ever lived. Whoa, can I, can I make him do that for me? Don't worry, I already took care of it. Voice guy, Smitty. And Smitty, the guy who gets to sit next to Mitty. Aha, very funny. This is the Smitty and Mitty Show. The Smitty and Mitty Show. I think it's my favorite intro. It's so, it's correct. Definitely, it's definitely top, top three for sure. Top three for sure. Smitty Mitty Show, happy Thanksgiving to all our Canadian listeners out there enjoying some turkey, maybe a couple cold drinks. Yeah, you got a lot of dusty stuff in here. I really need to clean my room. Yeah, yeah, we need a studio. Smitty Mitty Show, live from Noah's bedroom here on a, uh, a lovely Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, happy birthday or whatever Thanksgiving means. Happy birthday, turkeys. Gobble, gobble. All you gobble gobblers out there. A really exciting episode coming your way here on the Smitty and Mitty Show this week, though, as we have a pair of Blue Jays analysts talking to us about the offseason, the season that was, what is to come for the Blue Jays, Mitty. This one is exciting. Yeah, we pretty much yanked from Sportsnet here today. We (laughs) took a couple of guys, uh, got them to come on with us, but... uh, Shai Davidi, Ben Nicholson-Smith, it was, it was a pleasure to talk to both of them. Um, two guys that know way more about the Jays than we, we ever, 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 ever will. Um, yeah, put, put our knowledge of the Jays together, multiply it by about 20, and you probably got those guys. Uh, we got some interesting answers out of these guys, though. We like we got some stuff that I, I never really thought about, and I mean, I I guess that's why they uh, they get to go and do what they do, and we're doing a podcast from your bedroom talking about turkeys. <laughs> yeah, but um, we got some interesting stuff from these guys, and I don't want to say killer guests because I feel like we always say killer guest, but these are some killer guests. Yeah, uh, like you said, a pleasure to talk to them, and uh, the reason why we have both of them here in this episode. Uh, Shy wasn't feeling great last week. We were supposed to have them back-to-back. But, hey, now we're just going to jam it all into one. And basically, a little bit of a forewarning here. This episode is going to be just about all baseball. Well, yeah, we don't have much time to talk after we run these uh, these two. But, yeah, we talked to Shy a little bit about the season and into the playoffs. And then with Ben, we kind of went to the uh, the off season and stuff to come. And an exciting off season for the Jays. But let's be honest, this is what we're good at. We're good at baseball. So let's talk baseball. Absolutely. Uh, like you mentioned, the offseason going to be a big one for the Blue Jays. Do they make a big splash? Do they go out and sign some guys? Do they trust what they have? All the things that we talked about with Ben. And it's really exciting to think about how good this Jays team could be in probably the next couple of years. We got to be careful a little bit, though. Like, you don't want to get into the uh, assuming that they're going to be good next year. They could take a pretty big step backwards. Because this was such, uh, this was a sprint, not the marathon that we always talk about. We got to be careful here um, with our assessment. But you know what we should do is, is we should just listen to what some professionals had to say about the Blue Jays. Absolutely. First up, uh, joining us from Sportsnet, Shai Davidi. How are you doing today? I'm all right. What's going on, boys? Hey, you know, just another day in the bedroom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start off uh, on the outset. The Blue Jays looked like they had a pretty good season. Uh, finishing 32 and 28, making the playoffs. Um, but if you were to give the season an overall grade, what do you what are you thinking? It's an interesting question because you can answer it through a, a few different lenses, right? 
Um, I think just in terms of being able to get through a season under these circumstances without any infections, without spreading any virus and things of that nature, I mean, it's an A plus, right? Uh, to me, that's a significant accomplishment. I think anything that you can do successfully in this day and age uh, is an accomplishment. So I think there's that. Two, uh, you know, I think that you have to, if you're looking at strictly from a performance standpoint, you know, I think they got basically all they could get out of that group. Like there are certainly some, some guys who need to be better or some guys who are going to be better, but I really think they, they maxed out that group in a lot of ways. You know, they came up with a pretty good plan to game the 60 game season in terms of how they were going to use their pitching. Uh, they put guys in uh, positions to succeed about as often as they could. Uh, and they made the postseason earlier than they should have. Now, you know, I mean, you're not saying necessarily much because they were, I think, seventh or eighth out of the 15 teams in, in the American League. Uh, so it's not an incredibly high bar to clear. But, you know, I think based on what they had, I, I think they got about as much as they were going to get out of it. So uh, I don't know, I think you're looking at a, a, certainly a B plus, if not better than that for, for the overall season. It was an interesting season as well. You mentioned just getting through the season is a success for the league and, and for the Jays especially. But having to kind of, you know, meander through the, the storm that was at the start of the season, trying to find a home and everything. How good was Buffalo for the Jays? I think they finished something like 17 and nine at home this season. How big an advantage is that did that actually end up working out to be for the Jays? It's interesting because, you know, I've talked to a couple guys on other teams and, you know, they didn't love it by any stretch. But, uh, you know, I think that you only heard a couple guys uh, from the Yankees use it as an excuse uh, or, or point to it as for reasons for their performance. Um, did he get in guys' heads? Maybe. Uh, and, you know, the Jays knew they had to embrace it and take advantage of it, which they did. Um, but was it uh, a real advantage? I mean, there were times where, you know, some of the conditions there, be it uh, sunlight or uh, the way the field played worked against them just as much as it worked for them. So uh, I think that they certainly developed a bit of a comfort. There was certainly some element of, of discomfort for their opponents. Uh, how significant it is, I think, is really hard to measure. Uh, but they definitely milked all they could have out of the place. And, you know, they, it's actually remarkable what they did in such a short amount of time. I know a lot of people have said it, but having spoken to some of the people who did the legwork, it, it really is remarkable what they pulled off in, in a relatively short amount of time. So um, I think it, it certainly helped them, uh, but did it push them from, a, you know, a team that was going to be slightly above 500 at home to one that was significantly above 500 at home. I don't think it's necessarily that much of a push, but maybe there's a game or two of advantage in there. Yeah, it was really interesting how they were able to to dim the lights a little bit when the Yankees were up to or were pitching and turn the fans on. <laughs> yeah. That was really smart on their behalf. Um, yeah. I don't want to be the Charlie basher, but I, I have been a little bit. I'm kind of changing my tune. I think a lot of it came from he wasn't making his own decisions. And some of it came from the high performance department. How much do you think came from the high performance and how much do you think was Charlie's feel of the game? It's not just high performance. It's also the, the front office and the analytics department. And, uh, you know, I think everybody in baseball is starting to wrap or is continuing to have trouble wrapping their arms around this new style of managing. And, you know, for people who think that it's only done this way, in Toronto, 
uh, you know, that that's just not the case. You know, the, the Dodgers are running their team this way, the Braves, uh, the Rays, uh, the any team that you can think of, the Yankees, it is all being, uh, a lot of this strategy is being pre-scripted beforehand and uh, being done together. Now, are certain teams I'm sure are weighing different opinions uh, a little bit more heavily and, and doing that in different ways. But I don't think, I mean, if you're, if you're out there thinking there's still like, you know, Buck Showalter type who's managing from the dugout and making decisions uh, uh, on the fly based on gut and instinct and things of that nature, uh, that's just, that just doesn't exist. That's not baseball today. So uh you know, I think for all of us, we have to sort of wrap our mind around it. Um, and, you know, I think one of the reasons the Blue Jays also adhered to things the way that they did this year, as, as strictly as they did, uh, was because, you know, they knew that they had X amount of pitching to get through 60 games and that they were, they weren't going to have enough time to build up their guys enough to rely on them deep into games, right? In a 162-game season after a proper spring training, you know, you're letting Tanner Roark get, get into the fifth, even if he's given up five runs, because you just need him to eat those innings, right? But in a 60-game sprint, you're looking at it a little bit differently. You're saying, hey, you know, like, all right, just, just give, me three or, you, give me three or four of your best, and we'll figure it out from there. So, you know, I, I think that this is a tough year to judge Charlie on in, in that regard, and to pin it all on Charlie, I think, is unfair. But it's not all the front office either. This is this is something that the Blue Jays do in a, from a group perspective, and you know I'm going to be very curious to see how it evolves because you know there are certainly other formulas out there, and you know what they did this year is just simply isn't sustainable over 162. Yeah, I definitely don't want to put it all on Charlie because, like I said, I don't think. Um, it, it came from him. I think he was more of, of the face of the operation for what was happening behind the scenes. Um, but that being said, do you think that he is the manager when this team is ready to to win and to seriously contend for a World Series? I mean, he's got another year and an option after that. So, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out. Uh, but, you know, I, I think one of the things that, Charlie deserves credit for. And, you know, I don't think that it's been appreciated enough, but given all the things that the Blue Jays went through this year, like everything could have gone sideways a number of times, right? Like you don't have a, you lose Toronto and you've got, you're scrambling to, for, to find a home a week before the season. Uh, you lose Pittsburgh, you lose Baltimore and you're going to Buffalo at AAA Park. Um, you know, your closer gets hurt on the opening weekend. Um, you have a series uh, that disappears. You've got to spend a weekend practicing in Washington. Uh, you lose your shortstop after the Tampa Bay Rays kick your teeth in. Um, you, you got players kicking the ball around and making plays and you suffer all these gutting losses late in games. The Blue Jays didn't, didn't go belly up. You know, they, they said for that they, they stood strong and, um, you know, Charlie deserves some of the credit for that. Like ultimately it's on the players. It's good and good on the players credit to them, but you know, sometimes, you know, ships need to be steered. And uh, I think Charlie doesn't 
didn't isn't appreciated enough in these parts for that. And everybody looks at some of the in-game decisions, again, some of which have been circumstantial and some of which are, are pre prescripted uh, and then just say, Oh, you know, he's not this, he's not that. So, uh, you know, I, I think, I think we're still figuring out who Charlie Montoya is as a manager. I think he still is, you know, I think this is a tough year to judge anybody on, but you know, in a year where there are a lot of excuses that could have been made, uh, he wasn't making excuses. Certainly. And uh, I don't want to go too far into the off season plans for the Jays and where they should go with their ideas in the off season. But do you think that a playoff berth this year speeds up the process or it's the pressure on the front office going into this off season? Well, it certainly changes the expectations within the fan base. Right. And so if you're, if you're a Blue Jays fan, I would expect that you're thinking right now, okay, well, we got to the playoffs this year. Uh, let's go. Let's push. Let's make sure that we're getting there again next year. But I think the gap between, the, as, the, as they stand right now, uh, from a roster perspective, the gap between them and a playoff berth. And, and I'm assuming that we're going to be moving to like a 16 playoff, maybe a 17 playoff. Uh, there's a bit of a gap between them and, and the playoff spot right now. You know, the, uh, they've got, they've got a, a lot of pitching to figure out. They've got a lot of innings that they have to cover. And, you know, for the sake of the game, you know, you'd hope that some of the, uh, the minor league starters who were in their bullpen really helping to carry the team in a lot of ways that they're being able to build themselves up and to develop a starter somewhere next year. And that they're not just, you know, coming in for two here, three there, one here and, are growing in a more meaningful way. So uh, I, I think that's uh, a real challenge. They've got to figure out, you know, are they going to try to find a more permanent solution at third base, or are they just going to stop gap it until either Groshans or Austin Martin is ready there? Um, you know, are, are they happy with their outfield or do they want to try to get Richard back to right and somebody else in center and Tay Oscar to DH? Um, you know, th those are some things they've got to figure out. Um, and then they've got to deepen that bullpen, right? Um, because you saw once Romano was down and once um, Giles went down, uh, all of a sudden that group looked a lot thinner and Anthony Bass is a, a free agent too. So, so they've, got, they've got a substantial amount of work to do uh, to just figure out how you get the, the inning coverage that you're going to need over 162. Again, assuming that we have a 162-game season. Moving into the into the playoffs a little bit here, um, I think everyone was a little bit surprised when we first saw the rotation um, thrown out there. What was behind the thinking, do you think, of pushing your second best pitcher back to the third game where we didn't even see him in the playoffs? Well, ultimately, that came down to the Blue Jays felt that the Shoemaker-Ray combination was a better matchup than Walker, right? If you're only going to get one of those two in the series, they were, I think they were happier to go with that one than with Walker. Yeah, so, I mean, because ultimately, if you really want Walker to pitch in the series, then Walker's pitching in the series, right? There was no, there was nothing to stop them. But the, the desire to get Ryu an extra day of rest was a significant factor there too. Uh, and look, we, we saw it. it he, his stuff was down right in, in that game. It was, it was down uh, at least a mile an hour over the previous game. 
and you know it wasn't as sharp with his command and you know the Rays game planned him really well and he just he just wasn't as crisp whereas he just rolled over the Yankees the previous time out so you you know so I mean the Blue Jays must have had an inkling that Ryu needed an extra day and you know ultimately they figured hey, that the shoemaker ray combination would work and you know for all intents and purposes you got six innings of one run ball out of those two guys right like it, it worked like the problem was snell shut them down and you know they left a bunch of guys on base so uh you know i know that that would turn out to be a lightning rod but that that's not what cost them in the series ultimately um and you know i think the only concern that i would have if i was uh you know from the Blue Jays is like, did that impact your relationship with Taiwan Walker? Right. And, you know, knowing that he's a pending free agent and someone that you have some interest in bringing back, you know, does, does he remember that, put that in the back of his mind and say, Hey, well, these guys, these guys didn't give me the ball when it counted. I didn't go to a club that's going to give me the ball when it counts. Now, uh, one final question before we let you go, Shy. That uh, that playoff series against the Rays, do you think that is a sign of how far the Jays are off? Or do you think that was, you know, just a series of bad luck, a little bit of bad baseball in two-game series? A little bit of both. I mean, I just think that you look at the depth of power arms that the Rays can throw at you, right? You know, like they're not like trying to get cute with, how they line up and saying, Oh, well, we, you know, we got to optimize every single inning and yeah. Yeah. There's like, all right, here are our dudes and like, good luck. And, you know, I think that's where you want to be with uh, from a, a pitching perspective, right? Like you obviously want to in a, in a three game series, which in theory we will never see again, or maybe only part of a, a new playoff format, but you know, you're not going to necessarily be worried about how you're lining up guys and thinking into the next series and whatever the case, whoever was starting your, your game two in the first round was going to be able to start the game one in the next round. So uh, it was really just kind of throw whoever at whoever, Uh, but the Rays didn't need to play games. You know, that that's to me where the gap is. They're just so much deeper from a pitching perspective. Uh, And they've got some, some versatility on the roster. They can, they can switch around and, and find platoon advantages. They've got some, some weapons. They've just got a deeper lineup right now. Um, and, and they're a tighter defensive team. So, uh, you know, I think you could look at three game series is almost a coin flip. Like you can certainly see some weird things. The Jays could, if they had played better, gotten some good performances and, you know, you know, found, found, found green here and there. All of a sudden, maybe that, you know, they get to a third game and who knows. Uh, but I think if you're just looking at the roster over the long term, uh, the Rays are quite a bit better. And, and the Jays do have a, a long ways to go there. Sportsman's Chai Davidi joining us to talk about the Blue Jays and the 2020 season. Shy, thank you for uh, joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Shai. No, pro- no problem, guys. My pleasure. Thank you again to Shai Davidi for uh, for joining us. Uh, took a big chunk out of his time. Uh, he really didn't have to do that for us, but he did. And um, I feel like we're kind of putting two two horses against each other in a race here and seeing which one comes out ahead. And right now they're they're neck to neck. Some great stuff from Shai there. Absolutely. Uh, for Shai, we talk, you know, as you just heard there, about how the Blue Jays season went and and kind of, you know, where they can go from this season overall like you heard from him there he gave the jays a b plus this year which to me i think is is just about right on the money a year that was better than what they expected it was going to be 
a year where you know what if if they have a few more games where they play a little bit better that might sneak up into that A minus range. That's how grades work. But I I I I, <laughs> I, 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 I agree with him wholeheartedly that that it is a good year for the Jays. But it's going to be an even bigger next year to to see was this a little bit of a fluke? Do the Jays kind of ride off this year into next year? So, so let me recap. As right now, you're saying the Jays are at a B, but if they're better, they get to go up. Is that how grades work? Usually, okay, yeah. that's why I didn't do well in college. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I was expecting. I don't know if I was expecting Chai to just jump on with me and, and just go, "Yeah, screw Charlie." <laughs> but, <laughs> but he was pretty professional about it, and I think he actually believes in. We we knew this that, that that's what these guys are. They. they for the most part, uh, agree with the analytics side of baseball. Um, and I feel like I'm just like, I need to, I need to lie on a chair and have somebody ask me about how I feel about <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> just and confide in them because known Charlie Basher over here. Yeah. I, I don't. I, and I, again, I, I want to change what I kind of say and just say, I don't think it's Charlie. I think the, he's a puppet. They've got the front office has their hand up his rear end and they're just playing him like a puppet. Um, but but that's the way baseball is going nowadays. But then why? What's the point of being like? What does a manager need to do for you? Right. Well, it's it's honestly to be honest with you, it's not even management, right? It's almost every single role in baseball is is becoming that way, where there's there's people controlling you. You have one of the smartest bullpen guys in in Walker trying to trying to navigate you and doing a great job at it, and you're going to take that away from him. He's proved time and time again what he can do. Um, I just feel like Charlie was the guy that they believed would just go along with it. You think if they hired Ron Washington and gave him this little book in front of him and said, this is what you're going to do, he would tell him to go F off and like and go home. Well, and that's the reason why Gibby's gone, right? It's God, just, I love Gibby. I, I miss Gibby, but you do have to realize where baseball is going. And let's be honest, Gibby wasn't the best manager either, but he had the pieces. So really, Charlie... Who knows what he actually did with this team? They did overachieve, and I'm not again. I'm not saying he's a bad coach in any way, shape, or form. I just feel like there were games that could have went the Jays' way that didn't. If we didn't see Wilmer Font forty times, is that is that just being you know hindsight twenty twenty though, or do you kind of feel that way? As I feel like there was times on? in game that we could have we were watching, and you said, "Oh, this is gonna yeah," go and, and you go from Tanner Roark to to a Wilmer Font. Like, I can tell you those are two right-handed guys that don't throw overly hard, have a little bit of sync to their fastball. They throw a lot like each other. Like, there's just there was times that I feel like it was a computer telling them, but if you just stopped and thought about it, it wouldn't have been a smart decision. And they put all their trust in this spreadsheet. And like I said, I just feel like Charlie was a, a, a puppet for the team. And that's kind of, that's that's what got me is that, it seemed like there was a bunch of times where everybody, a lot of people could look at it and say, this isn't a smart move, and it would turn out that way. Like Derek Fisher playing right field ever, ever. <laughs> or Danny Jansen hitting a buck 50, hitting in the three hole. Like, all you have to do is is open your eyes and look at this, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all, and they turned out poorly. Now, they beat Ryan Yarborough that, that game, that, but it wasn't because Jansen hit a bomb. He went over so, and Derek Fisher, sure as hell, didn't help the team. <sighs> you done? I don't know. The midi rant of the day. 
Well, let's see if we can ask uh, if we ask anything. To, 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 <laughs> I, I asked the same question almost to Ben, and just kind of asking for a different answer, and I, I don't think I get it. But how about we just go into Ben? Ty, we have uh, a really special guest joining us right now. Is uh, Sportsnet's Ben Nicholson Smith joins us? Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to start with just your overall feeling. The Jays had a pretty a pretty good season, I think, by by everyone's standards, making the playoffs a, a plus record. If you were to give them a grade, like you're in school, what 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 were you thinking? Oh man, um, good question. I think I, I'm I'm kind of leaning toward a minus territory. I think that's probably the fair uh, grade for them, just considering that they did not have a home for so much of the season. Considering that they had lost 95 games the previous year. Um, They had to navigate a lot of injuries and uncertainty on the pitching staff and even with the position players. And yeah, I think bottom line, they make the playoffs after a 95 loss season. I think you've got to give them some credit. So to me, I'd say minus obviously what would have made it better. If you want to get into that AA plus territory, you advance further into the playoffs. All right. uh, I don't, I hate being this guy, but I'm going to do it. I want to ask you one question about Charlie and, and the overall analytics department. Um, do you think that this the swing that we saw in analytics um, kind of taking the feel away from from Charlie's game? Do you think that's going to stay? And do you think it kind of well, gave us a clouded effect of, of what we saw Charlie? I, I do think that it will stay. I think that when you're looking at pretty much any manager in baseball, um, maybe there's an exception out there. I don't know. A guy like Mike Matini might have a bit more authority, for example, to make decisions. Um, but I think really the days of the manager who's able to unilaterally make decisions on how you're structuring a pitching staff, how you're structuring a batting order, it's, it's pretty much over. So whether that's Charlie Montoyo, Aaron Boone, we're seeing in the playoffs these days where his every move is being questioned. The same thing happened for Dave Roberts a couple of years ago. Um, and the same thing happens even for quote unquote old school managers. I have no doubt that Dusty Baker in Houston is working very closely with their analytics and front office department. So I, I think for Charlie, and I think it's a fair question, but I think the Blue Jays didn't hire him to make decisions based on gut feel. They, they hired him because they believe he can be one voice among many that's guiding their decision making. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's done a pretty good job in, in the time he's been in Toronto. The Blue Jays this year, as we kind of work into this offseason and what's going to be a, a pretty huge offseason for the Jays in terms of their rebuild, one of the holes we saw this year was in the catcher position. The Jays, you know, they have their guys that it looks like they really want to stick with in the future. Do you see the Jays maybe looking to try and uh, test the free agent market for a catcher or look to try and shop around for a catcher? Do you think they're going to kind of stick with the guys they got? Well, I think it's a, it, again, it's a fair question because, you know, when you look at just ways that you can make this team better, you know, Danny Jansen had, was a pretty good defender. He had some hot streaks, especially toward the end of the season. But you look at the bulk of his offensive work, at the major league level, and he hasn't really lived up to the promise that he showed in the upper minors when he was drawing all kinds of walks and posting really good offensive numbers. So if you're looking for ways to improve, I think it's fair to look at catcher. And you also know it's a position where there's a lot of attrition. So whether it's Reese McGuire, whether it's Alejandro Kirk or somebody else, you're going to need somebody along with Jansen. So to me, I think you at least inquire on JT Real Muto. I think you have to have that discussion. He's someone too who's so athletic and so versatile, whose bat would play at DH. If you wanted to, you could play him in left field or right field or first base. I mean, he's, he's an exceptionally athletic catcher. 
I think you owe it to yourself to have that conversation, kind of like the Blue Jays did last offseason with Yasmani Grandal when they actually met with him in person. They wanted to have that conversation. Of course, he ends up with the White Sox, but that was a player that legitimately interested the Blue Jays, not because they didn't have catching, but because he was an upgrade over what they already had. When you look at a couple of the free agents here that the Jays do have, a couple of guys they went out to acquire in uh, in Ray and Walker, um, do you think they're at all interested in signing those two? And do you think what happened in the playoffs to Walker kind of affects um, his his appetite for coming back to Toronto? Yeah, I mean, the second part of that question is interesting. I, I tend to think, and I, I don't know exactly, so I'm not speaking for Taiwan Walker here, I would tend to think that even though you know, he was kind of bumped to game three and put in more of an afterthought territory. I still get the sense that there's an openness to coming to Toronto, even just based on some of his tweets. It seems like that openness exists. And of course, why close off one of the 30 potential bidders? I mean, it keeps keeps uh, the market moving if you have the Blue Jays interested at the very least. But I think the interest seems genuine. And with Robbie Ray as well, I think, you know, if you're looking at these guys from the perspective of the Toronto Blue Jays, I mean, they can make the staff better. And there's no doubt, even though the Jays showed strides and improved in the course of 2020 with guys like Thomas Hatch and Anthony Kay stepping up at times, Julian Merriweather. I mean, the pitching is on is trending in the right direction, but the Jays still need more, without a doubt. So whether it's Ray, whether it's Walker, Matt Shoemaker, I, I think all those pending free agents, Anthony Bass, I think all those guys should expect to be hearing from the Blue Jays and, and potentially um, hearing with some some legitimate interest from the team and re-signing them. You mentioned a couple of young guys there in, in Hatch and, and the back end of what became a really good bullpen this year. Um, do you see those guys, did they find something in those arms in the back end of the bullpen or are those guys going back um, to stretch back out and try and break their way into the rotation? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess yes to both because I definitely think that they found something. I mean, those guys are, are looking really good. Merriweather, to me, was probably the biggest surprise. I think after the way Hatch finished last year, you kind of wondered if this might be a year that he would take another step forward just because he was so great after that trade with the Cubs. So, you know, Hatch definitely belongs in that category. Merriweather, a great surprise. K, um, you know, obviously Pearson will be going back to the rotation. But all those guys, all those four guys that I mentioned, are expected to go back to the rotation. Even now, as they're conducting their off-season workouts, you know, of course, they have to know, am I preparing for five innings or two innings? Do I need to keep four pitches sharp, or am I kind of good with two or three? Those are questions that the players themselves need to know. And so at this point, Baraki's going to the bullpen, but the other guys are going to the, to the rotation just based on the fact that to get through six months, you know that the opportunity will be there for all of those guys to start in the major league. Now, we saw some uh, some rocky starts from Pearson this year. Do you think there's anything to worry about with some of these young guys? We saw a lot of them this year. Do you think there's anything to worry about going forward? Or do you think the trust is there from, from the front office and the management staff? Yeah, you know, with Pearson, it's interesting because he didn't really live up to the high hopes. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not quite Vlad Jr. territory, but Pearson had a lot of hype around him. As well, and so to expect anyone to live up to that level of hype, I mean that's that's pretty tough to ask. At the same time, I mean I think it's still fair to say that his, especially his regular season results, were not uh, were not good. They were not as good as the Blue Jays would have hoped. Certainly, so there's room to build on that. I, I do wonder how much that forearm strain, or maybe they called it a flexor strain. I forget the exact um, wording, but the the elbow forearm issue 
that sidelined him for basically a month, basically the end of September or sorry, the end of August, all the way into the end of September, that injury might have been bothering him a little bit earlier. I'm not saying in the major league debut, but maybe the second, third, fourth starts, certainly that outing against the Orioles, he just didn't look right. Um, even though he was still throwing 95, he wasn't hitting 98, 99. So I, I think if Pearson can get to full health, and that's obviously an if, but if he can get to full health, I still think there's reason to believe that this season can be a building block and he can say, hey, I can get major league hitters out. I've got my feet wet in the major leagues. Now it's time to build. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're, you're pretty um... – pretty confident in this, in this pitching staff moving forward. Uh, that being said, there's a, there's a lot of free agents, not just pitching wise, um, but some big name free agents out there this year. We saw Bauer uh, tweet something about the, the Yankees needing some pitching. That's a guy I'm pretty excited about. Do you think that's, there's any of the big free agents the Jays will go after and, and Bauer specifically? I think they'll have a conversation with Bauer for sure. Um, I think you have to, um, and the fact that they were around in Cleveland when he was, you know, first acquired, there might be some sort of, um, you know, in there. I don't know what that relationship's like, but certainly it's not brand new. They have some sort of starting point to work from, um, you know, where that conversation leads. I don't know if there are a lot of teams that always need pitching the bidding. If Bauer sticks to his one year deal, um, one year deal kind of idea, then the bidding could get pretty crazy. And I don't know if the Jays are going to be in at 37 or 38 or $39 million for one year deal. Um, and I don't know how many teams will be, but it only takes one. So Bauer thinks super interesting as for other top free agents. I think, you know, you're looking at a guy in George Springer is having an amazing postseason with the Astros, but he's also 31 years old. So, you know, if the bidding, I think for three years, that's totally reasonable. You know, if, if he's looking for a three year, for argument's sake, let's say 66 over three, I think you have to do that. But if you, if it, if it becomes 125 over five, I don't know. I don't know if you're in at that point. So it's, it's more a question Springer, Real Muto, um, you know, Bauer, obviously. I, I think you could look at the shortstops like Semyon, like Didi Gregorius, even DJ LeMayhew, they could find a spot for him. Any of these highly touted guys, and I'm naming guys who are going to be in the top 10 of free agents when places like MLB trade rumors, and ESPN have their, have their rankings out, that any of those guys would help the Blue Jays. So the Blue Jays will have internal conversations about those guys. And in, in most cases, they will at least reach out and have some sort of preliminary conversation with the, the player, player reps um, for those guys as well, because you just have to see what the price is. All right. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to keep it for too much longer. Let's just go with one more question here. Um, you see the MLB allowing fans into the into the CS and the uh, the World Series this year. Do you see any that being any effect on the players? And do you see it being an effect on the overall health of this bubble that they've created? Yeah, so many questions there, right? Like it's it's going to be, man, like really tricky to navigate that. Really tricky to uh, keep things safe, like you're saying. You know, if you're fans of the World Series, that is kind of introducing a lot of people into the air. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know from a health and safety standpoint what the risk is there. It's hard to imagine that it would decrease it. So you're either, you know, best case, you're holding it steady. Worst case, you're, you're increasing the risk. But, you know, those questions aside, I think that this is an opportunity to kind of sell people on the game even beyond 2020. Because obviously we're a few months away from spring training, as crazy as that is to say. We're a few months away from spring training. Teams are trying to get those season ticket renewals. They're trying to get some revenue after a year where obviously their revenues just plummeted. 
And so part of that process for teams might involve trying to show fans that, hey, this is, you know, quote unquote, business as usual. Now, whether that's the right decision to make is another question, but that's what it seems like Major League Baseball is trying to do. Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet. Uh, Ben, thank you for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure. Guys, my pleasure. Great questions. Always Always fun talking Blue Jays, and thanks for having me on. Hey fans, this is Voice Guy. Smitty and Mitty wanted me to let you know that you can have your ads pop up for their listeners. You have a brand, a beautiful, prospering brand, but you want to get the reach out there and have these fine listeners drink your Kool-Aid. You even have me, the Voice Guy, who can voice out your ads. If you want this done, please email show at gmail.com. That's smittymittyshow at gmail.com. Now back to the Smitty and Mitty Show. I don't know what you're doing, but that's super annoying. Nichols. Ben Nicholson Smith. <laughs> He's not going to like that. <laughs> uh, one of the best uh, outros I think we've ever done. Terrible. <laughs> Just off. Oh, it's going to be an exciting Blue Jays offseason. And like like we said before, Ben is um, one of the smoothest talking guys I've ever talked to. And his mind is just filled with information. And I hope we get to talk to both these both these guys again in the future because they could be they could be pretty big for us. Yeah, it was nice to talk to Ben there. And for him, we basically just talked about the Blue Jays offseason for the entire interview because it's going to be in a very a very important offseason for the Blue Jays this year and a very interesting one when you think in terms of offseason in, in, in pro sports and in Major League Baseball, how they normally go. We touched on it there. This one's going to be a little bit different. Are we going to see any, you know mid-range contracts. Are we going to see any of those? As Are we soon going to see as, a lot of short-term yeah. stuff? As soon as he mentioned um, the one-year contract thing for Bauer, my, my mind went directly to LeBron James, and that's what he did um, because he was always betting on himself to get better. The thing is, we can't bet on Bauer. Like, it's different in baseball to try and bet on yourself every year to be better and better and better. What if he has a down year? And the thing is, coming off of a, a season like this where the revenues are, are way down... Is the money going to be there to get, like, why wouldn't you take a two-year contract, bet on yourself for two years, and then see where see where the, or take a two-year with an option, and you can see where where the market's going to try and get your money? That's, I don't know if we're going to see that one-year contract. To me, and, and Bauer's an interesting one, I don't know if Bauer's the type of guy, and like you mentioned, he I think it is because he's betting on himself partially, but also I just think, he kind of likes being in that that one year deal where if he doesn't like it that year, he can get the hell out of there. And did That's you just see the way he is? Did though, you right? see the tweet from Bauer? Yeah, 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 yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, basically he he went on Twitter and said it looks like the Yankees could use some more pitching, right? Which seems very leading. Hitting. It yeah. seems very leading. The problem is the Yankees aren't a good fit for him. No. Besides the fact they can throw money at him, they don't like you having facial hair, let alone wearing a free Joe Kelly shoes. Yeah. Like how do you think how do you think they would the Stein brothers would deal with I think that for him was more the fact saying that, hey, I'm I'm out there, right? Maybe it's not the Yankees, but I'm out there and I'm looking to 
not only get paid, but I, I might be looking to move. Right. I think like if he went out there and and did his little shimmy shake off the mound, like George Steinbrenner would just flip in his grave. He is dead, right? I don't know. I'm There's pretty like sure four he's dead because they, they've got the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> that was our first one. I don't know. I think so because they got the little patch thing. They got the little patch on their arm. I don't know. I think he's dead. But <laughs> if, I think like he would. Well, that's not, back to the George Steinbrenner dead show. That's not what we the, don't know. That's not what the that's not what the Yankees are about. Is somebody to go out there and and, and fool around? Yeah, I agree. Bauer's going to be an interesting one to watch this off season. But as we talked about with Ben in that interview, there's some pretty big-name free agents out there this year. Maybe not the biggest we've ever seen in a free agency, but there's some big ones out there, and a lot of them that I think could fit into the Jays pretty nicely. Real Muto. JT. Yeah. I think that one will be interesting to see if the Jays have any serious talks with him. It really interests me. Um, the problem is he's going to be looking for a five-year, I would think. I don't know if they want to commit for that long. Like I understand that he is... He's a f- the phenomenal catcher, probably the best in in baseball right now. But if they seem to be really really secure in what they have, and they really like Jansen, and Kirk showed promise this year, so I don't know if they're willing to bet that long. I think something that's more realistic would be now. Listen, I don't think he's going anywhere, but something like Yadier Molina, his contract's up. Maybe he wants two years or a year somewhere else, and that just gives Jansen the opportunity to to grow under a veteran catcher. I don't think Yachty's the guy because I think he's a cardinal till he dies. Like he'll retire there, um, but it's something like that. One of those kind of catchers. JT is not that much older than Jansen, though. I, I want to say he's I'm, only four years older than him. I want to say he's, he's thirty. He's Twenty-nine. 30. Is he? I think he's in. And the 30s. what's Jansen? 25, 26? Like, things, I, things we could know. Things we could... Uh, I, I want to say there's only a four-year age difference between the Well, that's two. huge for a catcher. But, but, that, at 29 is still young. Think about Russell Martin at the start of the contract versus at the end. That's that's a four-year difference in catchers. There's a huge difference. But JT is a guy that's not just going to catch for you, right? You can, you can save a few years there by having him play some games elsewhere. If there's right? one thing the Jays don't need, it's another DH. At all, they've got DHs galore. They're they're a football team, <laughs> yeah. and you add Kirk into that, like who's yeah. five foot two and six hundred pounds. <laughs> like they they need a tarp, like me a school. legit tarp to put on him, so we can play baseball. Like they don't need another DH. That's I don't know. I don't see. I would rather them spend. Let's say this way. I would rather them spend the money on a pitcher. I I think the Blue Jays this off season, the front office um, didn't rule out making a big splash this offseason. They said they might. I mean, we saw Ryu last year. Do they go with one again this year? I don't know. I'm hard-pressed to believe that they'll make that big of a splash. But you never know. There's some big names out there they might go fishing for. If we go back to the Cleveland days and look at what they did with the Cleveland Indians, it was pretty much grown in inside, right? They didn't. They didn't go out and get much. Um, I think they, they're very comfortable in the pitchers that they have, and they I think they want to see where these pitchers can go, where the Merriweathers turn into, what the Pier- – like, let's be honest. If, if you have Ryu, you have Pearson, um, you have Merriweather, you have Hatch, you still have Kay, you have uh, – you still got Pierce, or Pearson, you still have uh, Tanner Roark for another year. 
these are all guys that can that like these are all good options. So let's say you go out and get uh, a, a Bauer, right? Now who pushes? Who does that push out of the rotation? Now yeah. I'm not saying that Hatch or Merriweather are locks for the rotation, but those are prospects that have a chance. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I do believe the Jays are trying to do a lot of it internally, right? You're seeing it with the wealth of prospects the Jays have. A lot of them we got to see for the first time this year or in the last couple of years. They're trying to do it that way, but at some point you do have to go out and you do have to find, whether it's one piece, two pieces, you have to go out there and you got to find it. It'll be interesting to see if the Jays do that this season. But why do you have to do that? There, There's plenty of teams that don't do that. There's, there's plenty of teams, the Rays, the A's, they don't go out and... They don't have the ability to go out and buy, so they build from within. And those are two organizations that have turned pretty promising. Even you look at the Astros. Granted, they've brought in a couple extra pieces. I hate the fact that they won. I, I, I wish they would have just rolled away in the trash cans. But they did they did it right, per se, and they built from the bottom up. Why why do you have to go out and spend money? I don't think you have to. I just think it's it seems to be the way you know a lot of teams need to, right? A lot of times you need that one extra piece that you, for some reason, haven't been able to build up. Are you going to be okay with the fifth year of a deal? Like we saw with Martin, where he doesn't look very good. Where we saw with Tulo. Everything Tulo did when he got here makes that contract okay. But when you get to the back end of it, you end up paying out years. But that's just the way contracts work sometimes. And teams know that going into it. But you just have to be okay. They don't have the money to just throw money away like the Tulo deal. They don't have that kind of money and they don't want to do that. So are you okay with a deal that brings like a Gare Cole deal who the back end of that deal might not look very promising? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I think it would be interesting. You're supposed to have an answer for that. Supposed to have an answer for everything. You know who does have an answer for everything? Mr. Blake Rubin. He's going to give us, he's going to give us his week six picks right now. You've been doing your research. (laughs) Blake Rubin. In make or Blake. You've got the numbers. We've got the knowledge. This is Make or Blake with our insider, Blake Rubin. The Smitty and Mitty Show, Make or Blake, coming in here for yet another week as our insider betting expert, Blake Rubin, joins us. Blake, hopefully you're enjoying your Thanksgiving Monday and uh, an exciting weekend of football for us as well. Yeah, hopefully you guys are enjoying Thanksgiving just as much. A really exciting weekend in football. Unfortunately, uh, as we all know now, uh, a little bit of a devastation to go with it, uh, especially with the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. You know, obviously, pray- prayers up for him. Get well soon. It was it was such a nasty injury, and obviously this is going to have a big effect on the season as we go forward. Yeah, sorry to everyone if this sounds a bit weird because we're, uh, we're doing it over Zoom, obviously being – Thanksgiving Monday here. So uh, let's start though with, well, the Falcons, what they did yesterday is they broke my picks. And then later on, Dak broke something too. That was disgusting. It was ugly. What, uh, how does that, what does that do to a struggling Cowboys in the first place? Their offense was really the only reason they could stay in ball games. Yeah, you take a look at the numbers, and Dak was, you know, aside from maybe passer rating, leading to every quarterback stat across the board. This was hands down the best passing offense in the NFL in terms of just yards per game and passing attempts and just efficiency. And I think we've all seen that the only reason the Cowboys aren't in a better record than they are right now 
and more comfortable of a lead in the NFC East is because the defense has been struggling. And, you know, Dak, who's gotten just so much flack from the Cowboys fan base, I, I find the Dallas Cowboys very similar to sort of the Toronto Maple Leafs, where even if they're not that good of a team, there's still so much expectations outside because of the brand. And obviously, when you're the quarterback of that team, you're going to take majority of the cuff, uh, of the guff, sorry. But, you know, Dak has, in my opinion, exceeded more expectations just with the exception of a Super Bowl. And it's just devastating to see this injury happen to such a good, not only player, but good person. You can see how devastated he was getting carted off. You know, Jason Garrett, the former Cowboys head coach, who's now the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants, your former head coach, who is now your rival, is also going up to your current head coach, Mike McCarthy, just to talk about how good of a dude you are in terms of Dak. And when it comes to the Cowboys in terms of how they play going forward, you know, uh, with betting, they were actually one of the weaker teams, unfortunately, against the spread for Cowboys fans. One of three teams 0-5 uh, to start the year next to the, the Jets and the Titans. And I think we can both agree both those teams are a little bit more than underwhelming this year. Um, it's it's going to change betting going forward, obviously, for the Cowboys now having Andy Dalton as the starter. You know, before the injury, they were a, a plus three home underdog, believe it or not. And now, yes, the changes are happening, but for some reason, and I don't know why this is happening, especially with Vegas and Lions, they're actually favored uh, in their upcoming game against the Cardinals, which I, I just don't really understand. I think that the Lions are going to be drastically changed going forward for better or worse for the Cowboys, though especially with Dak, which is inevitability now the rest of the year. Yeah, it was, uh, you can just see the devastation in, in all the players around him too. Like he's obviously beloved in that, uh, in that locker room. Uh, let's go to, uh, we had some more, uh, some more coughing going on in the league, change some games around. How, how's that going to affect what you're doing next week? So for next week there, there's one game that's just seemed to, mm-hmm upset not only fans of the NFL, but the players too. And that's the Denver Broncos and the New England Patriots. It was supposed to be the Monday nighter for uh, week five. It was supposed to be tonight. It's been moved to week six. And not only does this just mean, okay, you're playing this day instead of that day, it's going to affect their entire schedule. The Broncos bye week, which was scheduled for early November, that's been moved up to this week. So now not only do you have to, did you practice on a bye week? You now have a schedule where you're going to play New England next week and then Kansas City the week after that. So you don't really get any time to recoup in between. And with the Patriots, their bye week as well was moved a week early. It was supposed to be next week. It's been moved uh, up to week five. And given how tight of a race the AFC East has become with the Bills, you know, Bills being 4-0, and Patriots still managing to keep somewhat of a groove, even with Tom Brady, going to Tampa Bay, bringing in Cam Newton, uh, this could have drastic measures going down the line because we know how vital, you know, those late weeks are with the NFL season, especially when you have one or two teams really competing in the division. It's not like uh, a lock where you can just say, okay, the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West. You know, 99% of the league thinks that. Whereas now with the, you know, AFC East, you really don't know what's going to happen so the fact that the Patriots already have their one pivotal week with rest 
so early. And, and we know how Bill Belichick is where, you know, he usually has a team that struggles early on. They figure out the kinks halfway through and then go on to steamroll in the playoffs. And that bye week's just been so pivotal in terms of history uh, with the Patriots. And now they, they don't have that, you know, their opportunity to really try and figure stuff up, excuse me, figure stuff around real quick has been taken from them. So I think really the, the Broncos and the Patriots are the teams that truly got shafted the most out of it. Obviously there's a lot of scheduling changes going forward, but this early on, I think it shows how, uh, truly bad of a sign this is for the league yeah it's really going to get interesting as we uh as we go down the stretch here in the coming weeks here in the nfl uh blake let's kind of get into your picks now uh a couple weeks ago you were two for two on your picks this past week two for three the only one that kind of got you was that chiefs game against the raiders what are we looking at for this upcoming week six what games do you like well you know what you know we all right saw the raiders going into arrowhead and beating the defending Super Bowl champions, right? But um, in all seriousness, you know, we already talked about the Cowboys and the Cardinals. I'm going to say go with the Cardinals on this. It's going to be Dak's first – it's going to be the Cowboys, excuse me, first game without Dak since 2016. The guy didn't miss a start. So you got so implemented with that offense and with his style of play. And for some reason, the Cowboys are still favored to win. I understand Andy Dalton has a lot of experience behind him, but – you know, if people are and people in Vegas are simply going off last week, Cowboys a three and a half favorite, by the way, by the lines. You still let a Giants team that has zero wins put up 34 points on you and needed two miracle catches uh, near the end of that game in order to, you know, win by a field goal. So I'm not fully sold on the Cowboys being the favorites in this game. And, you know, you have a defense that's just been absolutely abysmal and you're going on to take the Cardinals team that's been red hot in terms of offensive production. You know, Kyler Murray, in my opinion, is one of the more dark horse offensive player of the year candidates at quarterback. And then DeAndre Hopkins speaks for himself, hasn't really missed a beat since being traded from Houston to Arizona. So I take the Cardinals there. That's my first lock. My second is going to be the Packers. They're only a one and a half favorite against the Buccaneers. It's the smallest odds this week, but Aaron Rodgers continues to show hey how come I'm not talked about as much as I should be anymore you know 13 picks zero touchdowns and on the Buccaneers side we saw the debacle that was the ending to that Bears game Tom Brady forgetting what down it is I never thought I'd say the greatest quarterback of all time would have a football blunder where he forgets you know what's going on in the game you know someone who's usually so precise and also the Packers are the only team left that's undefeated against the spread Right, they're 4-0, and they've just been lights out with offensive production. So I'd take the Packers definitely as my second lock there. And my third is going to be the Bengals uh, in Indianapolis. T- take the Colts. Trust me, you're going to want to take the Colts on this one. Largest line of the week, nine and a half favorites. It's the number one ranked defense hosting the most sacked quarterback in the league in Joe Burrow, who we can all agree is just, you know, it's – it's unfortunate for him because he just looks like a deer in the headlights out there. And the Bengals are winless in their last 16 straight home games. The offensive line has done nothing to help him. So it's most likely going to get even worse. If you're going to parlay, that's what I would say for a three to one, the Cardinals, the Packers and the Colts. Yeah. It's just Philip Rivers just hasn't looked very comfortable behind center there quite yet to me. Um, but Hey, I'm going to trust you. And I would like to say, I had the Raiders 
this week and Noah talked me out of it and it would have been quite a payout. So I blame him for that one. Made me go with the Falcons game. That didn't work. How about some games like the Falcon game, which I'm sure you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't recommend betting on. Uh, not especially in week six. Falcons going to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Vikings are three and a half favorite, but let's face it, neither team can really get it figured out at this point. Uh, the Falcons, we all know about the choke jobs they had earlier in the season. Vikings suffered that uh, this past Sunday night against the Seahawks, where it seems they finally had some stuff figured out. You could say it's because of Russell Wilson. You could say it's because of DK Metcalf. Um, and also, you know, this is going to be the Falcons' first game since firing Dan Quinn. So there's a whole new change to the system here that maybe it'll pay off. I don't know. But based on the way both these teams are playing right now, I, I just keep my money away from this. Uh, my second stay away would be Chicago going into Carolina. You want to talk about, you know, two teams that fluctuate arguably more than any other team in the league. You know, uh, one moment the Bears are beating the Buccaneers. The next they're just losing close nail biters and putting up only 11 points. So, and with the Panthers, you know, history has not really been too great at them at, at home, losing, uh, I believe it's 13 of their last home games in Charlotte. And Panthers are a two and a half favorite here. But you, again, you have two quarterbacks. I'm not going to say unproven because we all know the, the history behind Nick Foles and Teddy Bridgewater too last year going uh, undefeated as a starter. But both these teams look very messy on the defensive side of the ball. I wouldn't put my money anywhere near this one. Two teams that don't look too messy, though, but I'd still keep my money away from is Kansas City going into Buffalo to play the Bills. Chiefs, obviously, the favorite, three and a half. But the Bills have been one of the hotter teams in the NFL, even though as a home underdog, this is going to be the 12th time they have that status under Sean McDermott as head coach. And 12 times as a home underdog in the last three years, uh, to me kind of says something we know about the fan base in Buffalo, but you, you don't have it anymore. So that takes away even more pressure from the bills. And this is easily the bills most important game of the year so far to prove, Hey guys, this undefeated record is not a joke. We can hang with the best teams in the game. Obviously the chiefs looking to bounce back after losing to the Raiders. Uh, redeeming was probably the top bet in almost every parlay last week, except for the maybe years tie. Um, you know, we've seen also the playmaking ability of Josh Allen and how much it's developed over the season. So you want to talk about uh, players that have sort of a Mahomes-esque ability to them. I'm not going to say Josh Allen has the accuracy of Mahomes, but it definitely has the arm strength and the, and the mobility with his legs. So this could go either way. I just stay clear of this one because I also don't see the line on this being three and a half. This is most likely going to be uh, a full seven score game in my opinion well thanks Blake uh, for giving us your picks and what to stay away from in the upcoming week and uh, we'll see if you can stay hot there and uh, we'll see if me and Ty can make some money back as well I might have to take you up on that and uh, join in a couple bets myself because uh, you, you know I was ready to take the the Chiefs too I had my bet placed down pull back at the last minute just because I um, wanted to save a little bit of cash going on with this second wave and everything, but uh, might have to take you guys up on uh, some offers soon. Well, we're always here, ready to go. Thanks, Mike. Happy uh, Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. That was Blake Rubin, our insider on NFL 
and betting, kind of giving us his uh, week six picks, some games to stay away from. We do this a little bit early in the week, so it's tough for him, but give him all the credit in the world. He's done pretty good so far. Yeah, Thanksgiving hurt him this week, but um, uh, as far as I know, everything's good. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Uh, so thanks, Blake, for joining us again. He's here every week to give us a little bit of inside information on the NFL and what's going on. Uh, Mitty, an exciting week in the NHL with the draft going on. I wanted to ask last you, week. your Ottawa Senators have made a couple of big splashes. What do you think of the new logo? First of all. The new old logo. Big fan of the logo. I, I wasn't a huge you... fan of the the one they've been with for, I don't know, I feel like it's been about 15 years since they've been with that one. Wasn't a huge fan of it. It was all right. Love that they're going back to their kind of old school roots there. You see a lot of teams do yeah, that. You see, I was just about to say, you see that a lot. And you know what team would, would really benefit from that? The Miami Marlins, because God, I hate these uniforms. Oh, my God. The Marlins, how many times have they changed in like the last 10 years, too? Well, right? they have to keep rebranding because they all suck. But like, I was, I was listening to the uh, – I know we were going to talk NHL, but I was listening to the um, – uh, Braves broadcast during the series, just driving around, and um, the the Braves announcer he goes, and the Marlins today are wearing those god awful black uniforms with the black letters and the black logo. I don't know who came up with those, but <laughs> it was hilarious because yeah. they're terrible. But let's get back. So you like the jerseys? I do like the jerseys. I I like that they. I almost ordered one. I don't have that much money laying around though. No, you got to invest in Smitty Mitty Show. jerseys cost a shit ton nowadays. Yeah, yeah, they do. Like, like, you're looking you, at like you, 150 a, a pop? No. If you want to get – so if you go on the NHL – we're off topic here. But if you go on the NHL store to get an NHL jersey with a player name on it, uh, one of the yeah. Adidas ones what is player – you, What player do you want from Ottawa? I was going to get a uh, Kachuk jersey. Oh, my God. I don't think we can be friends anymore. Well, it's too bad. I mean, it is the good Kachuk out of the two, but – Signed a contract. Uh $250 for the Adidas ones, plus tax. Ew. Get, I don't like Adidas get, jerseys. You can, get one, wear them. you can get one of their Fanatics brand ones. You know what, I'm going to take that back because maybe Adidas wants to sponsor us. They're still like 200 bucks for one of the Fanatics brand, uh, Fanatics brand jerseys uh, with a player name. Of course, it's less if you get no name on the back. But, I mean, hockey jerseys don't look the same with nothing on the back, in my opinion. You know who you could get? A Matt Murray jersey. What about that deal? Your that, boys. That's a big one. I like that deal because they don't give up a whole lot to get him. And they just released Anderson, right? Gruden and, yeah, well, they uh, they released Anderson. Uh, they gave up Gruden, Jonathan Gruden, who's a London Knight, and a second-round pick of next year, I believe? Or was it this year? I don't remember. I don't pay attention to Ottawa too much. Overall, they didn't give up too much to get a goalie that is still young, already has cups, I think it's a good pick, and and if he doesn't play fantastic, you know what? They're still in a rebuild, and maybe they can they can change that up. And then we like thanks for asking me about the Leafs after I asked you about Ottawa. Um, the I did you see Toronto's picks? No, I I think that they went all Russian. Like everything was European. <laughs> it, it was so weird. I think my breakdown is that I think it's because they they assume that European hockey is still going to go forward this year. Yeah. And now we don't know what's going to happen with the OHL. Like, they're not playing body contactless. That's not happening. What a joke that was. Well, that's interesting as well. I got into uh, a spirited discussion with someone the other day who said, hockey's still hockey even if there's no body contact. Yes, but I don't know if the OHL goes ahead with a season if they don't have body contact. No. It, the OHL 
really wants to make sure they maintain what hockey is, not just, you know, for selling tickets if they do get to sell any, but for developing these players, right? They got to keep it straight across the board. Over in Quebec, they've been playing for a few weeks now. They've run into some big problems. 18 positive cases on, uh, I think, one of the Quebec teams. French team, who cares? 18 positive cases on the team alone. They're going to run into problems like that, I think, if the OHL goes forward, especially right now. The only reason to do it is for revenue, obviously, but like we talked about before, this league isn't revenue-based only on fans, really. And if they can't have full buildings, then they're not going to change their hockey just for... The big thing is, why is this sports minister even throwing the idea out there? Because like, they know that's not going to happen. That was basically like a troll, if we can talk troll-wise. It's not going to happen. You threw it out as, as a way for the OHL to make the decision not to play. It, well, what they do is they're saying, hey, OHL, we never told you you couldn't play. Yeah. We're just giving you a situation where we know you sneaky, won't want to do it. Sneaky, sneaky. I will be very, very surprised if the OHL agrees to play a season with no body contact. It doesn't even make sense because if the players are getting tested, which we assume would have to happen, they would probably have to be homeschooled because one thing we don't think about with the OHL players is they're going, they're in high school. Yep. A lot of them are in high school, so they probably have to get schooled at the arena. I would assume you would bring in tutors. Um, so if they don't have that outside um, communication with other people and they're getting tested daily, why can't they hit? What's the difference there? Yeah. Well, the NHL like, did. And no body contact, so what? You're not going to allow guys to get close. They're still going to get close to each other on the ice. It's just inevitable. They shower. Like the, the other the – t- Somebody responded with, okay, well, why don't we just have one team play per period and then nobody's even anywhere close to each other? Like, people praised the queue when they went ahead and made fighting illegal. And I don't think, like, that that just will never happen in Ontario, I don't think. It's not a change that is for the better. You're still trying to make these players... Um, ready for the NHL. And hitting's never going to be gone for the NHL. That's that's not a thing. So it's the same as we talked about, or we didn't talk about, but when they took hitting from in Canadian hockey from Adam up to Pee Wee. You know what? They're just that much bigger. They're that much stronger. And now kids don't know how to take or give hits. And I personally saw a huge rise in injuries. And that's why not what you need either. Yeah, well, what's interesting in minor hockey as well is at such young ages, you get kids that are way different sizes at different times, right? That's part. That's part of the biggest problem with hitting in minor hockey. Is but I mean, look gonna, at the you're difference have between a guy that's six feet tall going up a guy that's four foot seven. Look at the difference between a Dion Phaneuf and a uh, Nick Patan. Like, look at the difference between those two guys. Like, that's a man versus a boy. And if all of a sudden you get Dion Phaneuf drilling Nick Patan through a boards, and he's only been playing contact hockey for a year, maybe in the minors, yeah. like he's going to die. So again, we kind of went off on a tangent there, but no, OHL will not play without hitting. All right. Let's, I think we're, we're, let's wrap this up. The people have listened to us. They want to go enjoy their Turkey. You oh, have a turkey? turkey. I can't wait. Had Turkey last night. Delicious. A couple wobblies, a couple wobbly pops. Get any fights with the family is, nope. is let's do this. Is the sister still married? Sister is still married. Ah, there we go. Now. A couple weeks in. World record for her. I just broke my my hangover from that day. (laughs) (laughs) It only took you a couple weeks. Uh, Thank you for listening this week. Happy Thanksgiving once again to all our Canadian listeners. If you're American, you got to wait a little bit. That's going to be a big weekend too. Stupid Americans.
We love you still. <laughs> You're like half American. You went to school there. Yeah, for like two years. How does that make me half American? You are half American. And they called me Canada. <laughs> You're half American. All right, fine. <laughs> you got I don't American. want to be. No, I'm not taking that. <laughs> Take it back. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Smitty Mini Show. We will see you next week. Love you.